The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 145 Assyrian Empire Weakens King Hezekiah was relieved to hear God's response to his prayer through the prophet Isaiah. Given how active God was now in his life, fulfilling miracles of every sort and listening to his every prayer, Hezekiah couldn't help but feel shame for having earlier doubted God's ability to protect his people. He now fully believed that God would take care of the boastful king and the Assyrian army. As the sun began to set that night, a calm came over the city. The Jews had heard about Isaiah's message to Hezekiah. The king, in turn, had encouraged the people that God would take care of the problem. Even though a full moon illuminated the night, a thick cloud rolled in over the city. The Jewish watchmen on the wall were unable to see the besieging army. Suddenly, through the thick darkness cast by the cloud, Assyrian screams pierced the night. Stay vigilant, a Jewish captain yelled to his men on the wall. It could be a trick. The soldiers squinted, trying to see through the darkness, sure they were about to be attacked by the charging enemy. But they saw nothing. There was no charging enemy, no siege weapons being moved into position. Not a single arrow was fired at the wall. After a couple of hours, the sound of Assyrians' desperate voices ceased. An unnatural silence blanketed the land as though even the night creatures waited in fear. Gradually, the natural noises of night resumed. The Jews tried to make sense of the screams and moans from the Assyrian camp. They figured it must have been some type of Assyrian war tactic intended to scare the enemies. In the palace, Hezekiah had a restless night. Although he knew God would protect the city, he couldn't sleep. Finally, as the first ray of light peeked over the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem's east, Hezekiah made his way to the city wall to see what to make of the enemy. When he got there, he discovered the watchmen staring over the hills at the rows of tents of the Assyrian army. Not a single soldier could be seen moving about the camp. The Jewish watchmen could hardly believe that the Assyrians had slept in. They wondered if perhaps the Assyrians had moved on. Suddenly, a trumpet sounded from the northern part of the city wall. A small contingent of Assyrian soldiers bearing royal colors approached the city. Sennacherib had come to Jerusalem to join his main army of almost 200,000 men. Hezekiah hastened along the city wall to the northern part of the city to observe the Assyrian party. What he saw amazed him. When the royal guard reached the tents, they were surprised by the lack of greeting. 
no trumpets sounded to announce the arrival of King Sennacherib. In the Assyrian camp, one of the soldiers in Sennacherib's convoy jumped off his horse and scurried about the camp. Sennacherib watched as the soldier went into one tent, quickly exiting, then went into another. He exited this one and ran to another. What is it? Sennacherib yelled, frustrated at what he thought was laziness after a long night of revelry. They are all dead, replied the stunned soldier. What do you mean? the king demanded. They are all dead, but there is no blood. Some seem to have fallen where they stood. Others must have died in their sleep, the soldier reported. That's preposterous. The king lighted off his horse and went into a tent alone. Seeing a still body on the pallet, he bent over and shook it violently. Wake up! Wake up! Sennacherib went to another tent. Here he saw several dead men on the floor. They had crumpled to the ground while holding their bodies in pain. Seeing the unnatural deaths, the king paused. He thought back to his taunting and boasting against Hezekiah and Jerusalem. Maybe their god is different, the Assyrian ruler muttered. He hastily exited the tent. Looking to his soldiers, he commanded, There is nothing to see here. We leave at once. Fearing the king's rage, the remaining Assyrians did not ask any questions. The king mounted his horse, sat for a moment in thought, and then kicked his horse to get moving. Sennacherib, who called himself king of the world, was not accustomed to defeat, especially at the hand of such a small nation. In this case, however, he knew that it was God who had acted, not the forces of Hezekiah. Sennacherib made his way back to Assyria with his remaining army. When he arrived, his sons came out to greet him. They had heard of his mighty victories in Syria, Phoenicia, and Egypt. Greetings, father. Greetings, father. The young men hailed as the chastened monarch reached the palace steps. We have heard of your stunning successes in the war. You must have won many captives for our great Assyrian nation. Sennacherib didn't respond. One of his sons looked into the distance behind the king. With a confused expression, he asked, Where are the rest of your troops? No doubt they have been slowed down by all the Lian tribute you have collected. No, the king spoke gruffly. There are no more troops. With that, the king marched straight past his sons up the palace steps. For an Assyrian king to come back from a long campaign with fewer troops hadn't happened in generations. The Assyrian Empire had only known growth and victory for the previous 70 years. But with God's intervention, those days were gone. Realizing the turn in Assyria's fate, many aristocrats turned on Sennacherib. They tried to remove him from office, but were unsuccessful. He held on to power for a number of years. In his palace in Nineveh, Sennacherib wrote of his successful military ventures. Other ancient documents have been discovered that also verify his victories. One city that is never listed among his victories, though, is Jerusalem. 
The scriptural record of what happened during Sennacherib's final years is limited. Other less dependable records speak of the king's drive to gain help from the Assyrian gods. Sennacherib became more and more depraved in his pagan religious worship. Eventually, he decided that in order to regain the favor of the god Nishroch, he would have to sacrifice two of his sons. These sons, Adramalek and Shariza, had strong ambitions to replace their father as ruler of the empire. They caught wind of their father's plan to sacrifice them and decided it was time to act. One day, Sennacherib lured his sons into the temple of Nishroch, intent on offering them to the pagan god. Instead of the sons dying, however, Adramalek and Shariza struck their father down. When others learned that they had killed their father, the brothers had to flee for their lives. Their younger brother, Azahardin, became the Assyrian emperor instead. After Sennacherib's demise, and specifically the decimation of his army by the angel of God at Jerusalem, the Assyrian army never again dominated the world. God was raising up a new empire to replace the Assyrians. Back in Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem held a massive feast to celebrate God's stunning defeat of the Assyrian army. Though many of the Jews had been killed during the long Assyrian incursion into the land, they still had Jerusalem, the temple, and David's throne. There was much to be thankful for. For the next few years, the land regained prosperity similar to the early years of King Hezekiah's reign. Tithes and offerings poured into Jerusalem once again. The doors of the temple and massive pillars surrounding it were restored with gold coverings and trim. Again, the storerooms were filled. Hezekiah finally married and had a son, Manasseh. Furthermore, Hezekiah began to receive foreign dignitaries into Judah. Many had heard that Hezekiah was able to withstand the massive Assyrian army when no other nation could. They wanted to see how Jerusalem had survived. Many had also heard of Hezekiah's miraculous recovery from his debilitating sickness and brought gifts to the king to celebrate with him. One of these visiting groups was a Babylonian delegation sent by King Baladan, also known as Merodach Baladan. At this time, Babylon was a city-state south of Assyria. It had long sought to be free from the Assyrian Empire. Hearing of Hezekiah's success, Baladan moved to entreat Judah's king to ally with him against the Assyrians. Welcome to Jerusalem, King Hezekiah greeted the Babylonian envoy. Judah's king was excited to receive gifts from a foreign king. Sadly, Hezekiah was also starting to feel some human pride over Judah's return to prosperity since Sennacherib's defeat. His pride was stoked further when he learned that Baladan had spared no expense in sending official dignitaries from Babylon. Hezekiah planned a large banquet in honor of his guests. He showcased all manner of exotic food and drink, as well as entertainment. Judah was famous for its cultural achievements in music and dance, so the king arranged an impressive performance. After the show, the Babylonian ambassador asked for a tour of the city. 
Hezekiah happily obliged, pleased by all the attention he was receiving. The king proudly walked around Jerusalem as a tour guide for the foreigners. Finally, the ambassador asked if he could see the temple and Hezekiah's own palace. Again, the king obliged, but rather than staying in the courtyards and halls open to the public, Hezekiah naively showed the Babylonians the large storerooms of gold, silver, grain, and other precious materials. What do you think? Hezekiah asked, a grin on his face, as he showed them the treasure room. It certainly is impressive, the ambassador said. Although we have this in Babylon as well. Is this all the gold you have? By all means, no, Hezekiah responded quickly. Would you like to see the rest? The ambassador agreed, and the entourage continued to tour more rooms in the temple treasury. As the doors opened to room after room, some filled with gold and silver, others with precious ointment, spices, or rich armor, the ambassador's eyes widened with lust. Finally, after seeing all that Jerusalem had to offer, Baladan's envoy left Jerusalem to go back to Babylon. The ambassador carried letters from Hezekiah, thanking him for his friendship. Not long after the Babylonians left, the prophet Isaiah visited the king in his palace. Greetings, Isaiah, Hezekiah said. Ah, if you had only been here a few hours earlier, you just missed my guess. That is why I was sent to speak to you, Isaiah responded simply. Hezekiah's mood immediately changed. He knew that normally when a prophet was sent, it was because he had done something wrong. What did those men say? And where did they come from? The prophet asked. They came to see me from a distant land, from Babylon, Hezekiah responded, only answering part of the question. And what did they see in your palace? The prophet continued. They saw everything, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Oh, foolish king, the prophet declared. He shook his head in frustration. Your vanity carried you away. These men from Babylon were not here to see you. They are not your friends. This is what God says to you. Isaiah continued, his voice grave. Surely the time will come when everything in your palace that you and your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off into Babylon. Nothing will be left. And some of your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken to Babylon as well and will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah was stunned. He paced about the room as if to find something to say to rebut the prophet. Finally, he responded with a statement that revealed that, once again, he had allowed himself to drift from God. Well, what you said may come true, but at least it won't happen while I'm alive. Hearing those unrepentant words, Isaiah left the king's presence. Not much more is mentioned about King Hezekiah in the Bible. God had promised him 15 more years from the time of his sickness, and he fulfilled that promise. Hezekiah died when he was 54 years old. 
He ruled on the throne of Judah for 29 turbulent years. He was buried in the official tomb of the kings of Judah. This was the same tomb that King David, Solomon, and other righteous kings were buried in, which gives us some hope that Hezekiah ended his life positively. All of Jerusalem honored him at his death. The son he had after marrying, as God instructed, Manasseh was 12 years old. Unfortunately, it didn't take long for the Jewish nation to swing back into idolatry following Hezekiah's death. Evil men who did not follow God's laws guided the young King Manasseh. Before long, all the work that Hezekiah had done to restore true worship was undone. The people became curious once again of neighboring gods, setting up their own private altars. Manasseh encouraged the people's idolatry and even decreed that pagan altars be set up throughout the nation to honor the Canaanite god Baal. The misguided young king even set up pagan altars inside the holy temple in Jerusalem. The Levitical priesthood was disbanded. Their chambers were converted to places to honor the stars and planets. In an act that completely disgusted God, the metal idol of Molech was heated to red hot by fires built inside its belly to the thunderous accompaniment of drums. Parents placed their own babies into the glowing hands of the idol. The purpose of the drums was to drown out the agonizing screams of helpless infants sacrificed by their own parents. Manasseh ruled like a dictator. He actively sought to stamp out any who tried to worship the true God the right way. Under his leadership, the nation began to rot internally from sin. But God had a plan to help Manasseh see the error of his ways. In doing so, God would fulfill a prophecy made years earlier to his father, Hezekiah. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story, find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.